Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. All right. So thankful for the the great uh, uh, army that God's putting together here at Providence. So many people. Do you know that some of the greatest warriors at Providence never stand up here? Uh, the behind the scenes, fighting for you, battling for you, um, uh, you know, speaking into you, contending for you. Uh, it's really, really great. So uh, we're, uh, God's building a family uh, in us, and sometimes just the, the people that are, they're not, they're not hiding in the closet, they're battling in their prayer closet for you. And so I think they will be the ones that are the most highly rewarded uh, in the kingdom, not me, um, not, uh, not me. And uh, not necessarily people on stage, but, but uh, man, closet Christians, you know, uh, prayer room Christians. Let's, let's call it that, right? Uh, yeah, the other, the other thing is, is not as good, uh, so good. All right. Hey, uh, let me start out. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, if, you, if you just took uh, a fr- that, that little fragment and then you put that on YouTube, I, I would be slaughtered. So uh, please don't do that. Um, the, uh, but let, let me start out. Guys, can I, can I share? I almost want to preach two short sermons. And I know that I've been making records for my short sermons lately. Um, but we've been going long. And I'm going to do my best this morning to just won't, just really give it uh, to you uh, concise I think this is, this is a Sunday where you just need to listen, open up your heart, uh, wear humility as a son and daughter, and then just take this home and chew on this. Um, but uh, I, I think this is, a, this is a morning where I, I want to preach two sermons at you, and I think that they're linked. If they're not linked, though, um, I, I, it's okay. Uh, just t- two words I, that are on my heart to share. And here's the first one that I've been challenged with this uh, in my heart. Is, uh, is that here, I heard a quote, and it goes something like this. It says this, Here's, it's a good word. This is not, not necessarily from the Bible, though I think it is biblical. Do not learn about a person through that person's critics. Yeah, you ever, does that ring true to you? Huh? Let me, let me expand that a little bit. Do not learn about a person, but do not learn about a church through that church's critics. Uh, do not learn about a movement through that movement's critics. Uh, do not learn about an organization through that organization's critics. If, if I talked to Steve Latta about Chevys, you know, I would hate Chevys. You know what I'm saying? Because he's a Ford guy, uh, right? Um, there, so, so much of us were inundated with the, the critical framework of a certain person, of a certain church, of a certain movement, of a certain organization. And instead of uh, really seeking to understand, uh, we just drink deep of someone who doesn't but loves to believe they do. Uh, I, I had the wonderful privilege. Welcome. Come sit down. Uh, I had the wonderful privilege of... Um, of, man, what an artist, right? Uh, the, uh, I had the wonderful privilege of going to Bible school. And when I went to Bible school, you knew the freshmen from the seniors, not by the, the size. Because when you're about 20 years old, 18, 22, like everybody, everybody's, uh, you know, they're done growing for the most part. Uh, but you knew freshmen because they knew everything. And you knew se- seniors because they started to wear some humility. All right? And so I think sometimes like just going to Bible school, like that is the learning. When you're coming in and you're fully like, ah, I know stuff. And I'm here at this institution to teach the teachers. Uh, that's how you come in. And then after four years, you get worn down to say, you know what? 
I didn't know near as much as I thought I knew. Right? Right? Yeah, see, many of us, we have not actually uh, studied to show ourselves approved yet. We, we just really love what we think we know. And that is okay. And I, I, I totally get that because the culture that we're in is training us to do life this way. In a highly socialized, and I don't mean family relationships, I mean socialized like social media, society, you guys, you guys, you're hanging with me, right? You're not scared yet, okay? I, I, this is, this is, I think this is going to be good. I'm just, I'm just getting right to it right from the start, okay? So this is good. God loves you. I, I actually, I, I love most of you, right? All right, so it's good. But the culture is training us to make decisions not based on relationship, but based on reviews, all right, so if you want to search for, let's say, uh, let's say you, you're new to South Central Pennsylvania and you want to search for a church, you Google it and you start with the five-star reviews and then you go to the 4.7s and the 4.1s and the 3.3s where we are, all right? And that's how you do it. You basically say, well, people reviewed this church and so I guess that based on their reviews, I'm going to, based on their likes, based on their stars, uh, I, I guess that I will start doing my life based on others' opinions. Right? You know what? How, which movie are we going to watch tonight, love? I don't know. Let's see what Rotten Tomatoes says. Let's, say what the, let's see what the critics say. And then base what we consume based on the critics. Who are the critics? I don't know. But they put stars and percentages by certain things that I then consume. Yeah, but I, can I say that biblically, are, are, we, are, are, we, are we Bible people here, right? Are, are, we, are we not the, the church of Jesus? Are we not the ones ransomed by the blood, washed in the blood? It's very interesting. Like, I wonder if, if, if like, I know there's scales, I don't want to get into religion, but, but how often ha, ha, does our Bible study revolve around uh, a, a YouTuber Instead of actually, Holy Spirit, can you teach me what your, what your inspired word says? I, I, I honestly think that the, the way that we know how to study the Bible these days is we start with YouTube and we go from there. And that we formulated so many opinions based on, based on what social media has said, based on, based on critics' choice. And there's a huge... The, uh, there's a huge uh, there's huge questions when it comes to how we uh, evaluate something. And I think that many of us have fallen, fallen into the pit of what do the critics say about something instead of learning how to walk with the word, learning how to rightly handle it, learning how to be friends with the Holy Spirit, learning the heart of the Father, learning how to stand on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And listen, my, my job as your pastor is, is, is to equip you for works of service, but it's also to present you a glorious bride to a glorious Savior. And I, I cannot... I, I cannot I cannot stand back and keep watching what I'm seeing. You're not supposed to have a bachelor's degree in, uh, in YouTube. You're, 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 spo you're supposed to be a son or a daughter. And I want to teach you how to walk in that and how to be that. Right? Wow. So what should I think about Stephen Furtick? Well, let's YouTube him. 
No, that's not what you should do. That's not, you know what you should do is you should listen to, your, to the sermons and then take the Bible and say, huh, never heard that before. Let me, let me search. Right? Yeah, so many of us, we are, we are digesting weird, critical Bible from people that have already done it for us. And so we're chewing on their mess. And they're weird. And we're like, huh, it tastes weird, but it makes more sense than verdict does. Right? So, so hey, so what about, what about, uh, hey, what do you think about Jesus Culture's new album? Like, first of all, listen, you don't ask, what do you think? Like, there's fathers and mothers, and fathers and mothers, I, I, they're not found on YouTube. They're found in your life around your table. So you ask, how you doing? Like, what do you, hey, help me process this. You don't, if you're fathered by YouTube, you've got massive theological problems. Wow. <laughs> this, it has to be said. Right, what, what do you think? Do you know that I, I saw on YouTube a person explaining why Billy Graham is in hell today using his version of the Bible? <laughs> guys, guys, please, please, please. This is, this is, this is craziness. This is craziness. Uh, the, the Bible says in Acts, Chapter, whoa, did you say Acts? <laughs> yeah, it's in the Bible. Like, come on. Like, it's, 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 wow. Oh, wait, I don't go to churches where they preach from Acts. Like, whoa, whoa, please, guys, this is, this is how crazy it's getting. <laughs> it's how crazy it's getting. Anything that a person feels uncomfortable with is suddenly not. Listen, the Bible's going to make you feel more than uncomfortable. It's going to call you to die than be raised. <laughs> So the, 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 book, the book of Acts, listen to this. Um, Paul and Silas were just chased out of Thessalonica, all right, for preaching the word. And there was a, a riotous uprising. And they're chased, chased out. And here in Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 10, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. But why did they send them away by night? So they didn't die on their way. They were not popular there. So the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Okay? They went into the place where people were seeking the truth. In the verse 11, now these Jews were, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Like, what a horrible thing to say. <laughs> no, no, everybody's a child of God. Everybody, God, let no. But these are actually noble ones. <laughs> Why? Why were these Jews more noble than those in Thessalonica? Do you know that there's, there's things that you pick up from a city? There's vibes that you pick up from a city in Thessalonica. There was something weird going on there. And I don't want to see, see us picking up our, our South Central Pennsylvania kind of criticism, uh, kind of anti-supernaturalism, kind of like, oh, you know, this isn't how we've always done it. Oh, I'm uncomfortable with that, so I'm going to run kind of thing. All right? Right? Well, yeah, there's a South Central Pennsylvania born and bred. Right? Right? So it's, it's good. So, so now, now these Jews are more noble than those in Thessalonica. The, and here's why. Because they actually received the word with eagerness. They received the word with eagerness. When the word was spoken, it was received. And here's what they did as they received it. And here's why they could receive it. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Guys, this, we have to learn, 
if we're going to be offended by somebody's interpretation of the scriptures, we better actually know our conviction from the scriptures. And I don't think that our problem today is that so many of us are soaking in the word, examining the scriptures with all of our hearts, morning to night, and the morning when I rise to meet you, and the morning when I lift my eyes to Facebook. I don't think that that is our problem, that we're examining the scriptures so much that we're having theological issues together. I think that we're so full of other people's opinions that we've actually been blinded to the heart of our dad. So these people are examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Can I tell you that back then, they did not have this like this. Jesus is the eternally begotten word of God. Everything in this in this book is of him and speaks to him, right? But in these days, guys, they didn't, do you, know, do you know their examination of the scriptures? There may have been a few scrolls in the synagogue in Berea that nobody could take home. They just went and they just sat with it and they just looked together as a family, as a community. They examined word by word, line by line. Is what, what with a little bit of revealed knowledge that we have, maybe they have the, the prophet Isaiah, maybe Hosea, maybe Malachi, maybe there's some Italian, and maybe, maybe like, like maybe, the, with, the, with the few that we have, we have, we have 66 inspired books here, all wrapped up into one, over 900 translations of this one book. And these people have maybe a few scrolls. Do you know that, do you know, how about this? Try this one on. Do you know that in 1525, it was illegal to have this book in a spoken language? William Tyndale asked for permission to translate this into English, and they said, just the mention of that is heresy. <laughs> and he went and did it anyway, so they killed him. <laughs> So when you start getting more in touch with the dominant prevailing weird culture of your day, rather than how the spirit is moving in your generation, it's going to be really crazy for you and us. Wow. Man, should I keep going or should I just say 30 minutes of repentance? <laughs> just sit and cry. Just sit and cry. Delete everything. Start new and fresh, right? Uh, wow. You know, Lent is coming up. It's not a bad thing. It is Catholic. There's some good stuff from there, all right? Why don't you give up opinions for Lent? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, not convictions, just weird opinions that are birthed somewhere. And start to say, every opinion I have will be formed on the foundation of Scripture. Wow, what a crazy idea. So I, I encourage that. I encourage that with all my heart. Listen, um, critics, what happens when you continue on uh, in this, I'm just going to keep going. Many of them therefore believed, after examining the scriptures, after examining the scriptures, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek, Greek women of high standing as well as men. That's Press into that. We skim over verses like that. I encourage you not. Verse 13, though, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Now these Jews from Thessalonica are Paul's critics. These are Paul's critics. 
These are the ones saying, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Silas doesn't know what he's talking about. They're preaching a false gospel. And what they're actually trying to do is they're trying to preserve their religion of control. Because the religion is, is, is uh, their identity. And it's dominating who they are. And they're forcing their false gospel and their false religion on the people that Paul is telling the truth to. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. And this is how the early church was. They're just, just chasing off the truth. God's saving pockets. And those pockets are changing the world. Can I, can I say this? A culture that champions critics is a culture that anchors us to immaturity. Say it again? Okay. All right. That here, here's what I just said. All right. That uh, a culture that champions critics is a culture that anchors us to immaturity. Okay? I think it's right. I think, I, I think, I think it's right. Listen. Take what I just said, write it down, examine the scriptures. See if that is true. And I think as I have examined the, the scriptures, I really believe that when you begin to champion just rogue, wild opinions and this and that, and you begin to go to people's opinions before you go to the, script, the scriptures, what you're doing is you have, you're building a society that is immature, and when you have people that are humble enough to reserve what they think as a freshman until they're a senior and then put it out, you're starting to build a culture that actually has some depth. A culture that champions critics is a culture that anxious to, anchors us to immaturity. And I just want to say, guys, that part of my job is to present you mature in Christ. And I want to challenge all of our immaturity and I want us to stop defining ourselves by what South Central Pennsylvania says and what your favorite YouTuber says. And I want us to actually know what it is to feast on the word of God. Wow. So for all of you who have wounds due to a critical culture, here's, here's what I want us to do. Here's, and here's, uh, I want to turn a corner here because I don't want us uh, to learn how to lick our, our wounds and then turn into victims that sit around and commiserate about the culture. Okay, I don't want us to do that. Uh, I, I want us to learn together how to not turn into victims, but overcomers. Overcomers that bring the life of Jesus to dead cultures, right? Don't you want to be known for a person? Don't you want to be known as a person for the life you carry, not the opinions you carry? Don't you want to walk into a room? It's just the life of Jesus is coming out of you. You're, you're, you're not offendable, Right? That's how I want to be. And I'm not there. I'm not there. It is hard for me sometimes. Why, a, a, few of, a, you know, a few people have had an opinion of me a time or two over the past 12 years of being the pastor here at Providence, right? And I'm sure a few people have had a, an opinion of you at workplace or even in your own family or on your street or you're a neighbor. You know, a neighbor says, well, I clean up after my dog the moment it happens and you wait a week. Like, I, I don't know, Right? Right? Well, everybody's going to have opinions of you. And I want us this morning to walk into how do I not fall, fall prey to a culture that just teaches me how to be uh, critical. And if someone's critical of me, then I turn, then I turn into a, a victim. And I want to say, how do we overcome? And here's where I think it starts uh, this morning. It starts with, with a very biblical mandate to forgive, forgive well, forgive deeply, forgive from the heart, and forgive quickly. Okay? 
Listen to this, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, now I want to stop us right there. You with me in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13? I said that fast. But put on then as God, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, if we stop there, we see that, that holy and be- chosen by God, holy and beloved. This is the identity that God's given to us. So when we have an identity of, I am now whole because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I, have now, I now have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to my spiritual account. When the Father looks at me, I'm as righteous as Jesus through faith. That's who I am now. And I am not, I am not ugly to God, I am his beloved, I am his family. When we know our identity in God, then we can wear things. And that's how it works in the kingdom. The kingdom is not like, here's the holy standard that you have to live up to. Try, try, strive, strive. It's when you know who you are, then God gives you clothes to wear under the banner of your new identity. You hear that? There's a new identity for you. You are in Christ, holy and beloved. Because of who you now are, here is what you can now wear. And it goes on to say, wear this, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, do you see those things that you wear? Like, this is what family is. You have to bear with one another. Here's what family is not. Running away from each other. Leaving the table. Here's what family is not. I don't, I don't like being around you, so I'm, I'm just going to not wear patient. He, patience. Here's what family is not. I love my opinion more than I love you. I don't, I, I don't care about humility. I care about me. This is, this, that's what the church looks like more often, but if we knew our identity, we would actually have the grace to wear compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, listen to this mandate, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. Why would I ever go to anything besides God's word? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, last week we talked about the blood of Jesus. I love the blood of Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody? Do you, do you know? <laughs> what? Wow, wow, just, just as God looks at me and as the world sees me, just the blood of Jesus be on me, right? Signifying to the whole world, I'm with this guy and I'm with these people, right? So the, if we are in the blood, if we are in the family, if we have been forgiven, here's, here's the mandate. God forgives you, you must forgive others. You must forgive others. Forgiveness for a believer is not a choice. Forgiveness for a believer is a biblical mandate. There is a biblical mandate to forgive. The blood declares forgiveness as our only option. So if you're going to celebrate that you're in the family, you must activate forgiveness or you'll prove that you're not. This is what the Bible says. So let's flip to a place where Jesus says it like it is. All right? Ding, is that dinner time? Is that a dinner bell? Is that a what? <laughs> ding, ding, yes. We got to Matthew 18. Ding, ding, come to dinner, sit down at the table. All right. Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. 
I'm just going to read it to us. It says this. I just got hungry, man. I, wow, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm literally salivating right now. It's like, it's like I'm one of Pavlov's dogs. You know what I'm saying? You ring the bell and like you start to, anyway, you guys study that? Anyway, okay, uh, look, uh, Matthew 18 Verse 20, you know that you guys could take me down if you put little snippets. If you didn't listen to this in context, just snippets, bam, right? Yeah, welcome to YouTube. Uh, but uh, listen, Matthew 18, starting with verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as, as seven times. Now I picture Peter, I don't know if this is true, but I picture Peter, you know, he was eager. Uh, he's kind, he was the guy in class that would bring an apple to the teacher. Like, hey Jesus, look at this. I've got the right answer. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Right, they're wrong. I'm right. Here's the apple. You know, I picture him saying, hey Jesus, like I know that, that the, the Jewish law says we should forgive up to three times, but I'm saying let's double it and add one. You happy with me? You happy? You pleased me, Jesus? Can you say something nice in front of all my friends to me? And Jesus actually takes this and he loves Peter, but he corrects him. He said, as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven or 77 times. The, the heartbeat behind what Jesus is saying is you don't count offenses. You don't count. You just keep forgiving him. Keep forgiving him. Keep forgiving and keep forgiving. Keep releasing and keep forgiving. Then Jesus tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, listen to this, Jesus is not just giving us practical tools. He's talking about how his kingdom operates. He's saying, here's, here's what my family's like. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now guys, like we don't operate in talents and denarii and things like that today. Um, there is a, a, a little bit of, uh, n not confusion, but there's, a, there's good dialogue going on between uh, or about how much 10,000 talents actually is. But just like Jesus is saying, hey, you don't count it 70 times seven or it's 77 times. Basically what Jesus is saying here is that this man owed the king uh, innumerable number, a, a number that you can't even, it's either like a billion dollars or the ESV study Bible says six billion dollars today. It is just something that no ordinary person could possibly dream of paying back. 10,000 talents, six billion dollars. In verse 25, now this account is being settled. The king is saying, I loaned you this. I need it back. That was the deal. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This is what happened. Hey, this, and this is what debt does to you. It, it turns you into a slave. Oh, you can't pay this back? Then we're going to have to cut our losses. We're going to sell you. We're going to sell your wife. We're going to sell your children. We're going to sell all your belongings and we'll get at least some of the money back. This is how it was done back then. So the servant fell on his knees. How many of you would say, th that would be a bad day? No, like I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not super excited about this deal, all right? And so the servant did really the only thing that he could possibly do. And the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, imploring the king, begging the king, oh, king, please, please have patience with me and I will pay you everything. You know, it's impossible to pay 
And the king knows that. I think the guy even saying this knows that. But he's like, give me a chance here. I will pay you everything. And look at this, verse 27. I love this. This is a, a straight shot to the heart of the father. The heart of the father is not, he's not demanding that people pay. He's sending his son to pay. And he's operating in a, a compassion that is otherworldly. A compassion that we don't get on earth. We fight for ourselves. We, it's, it's, you know that you're beginning to operate in the heart of the Father when you see people and have compassion on them when you see them, even when they've wronged you and hurt you. And out of pity, this is the king now, listen. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Wait, did you hear this? You hear this? Guys, does this, does this wreck you? What? The king, just because of pity. It doesn't make sense, but just out of love. It, 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 it's, it's not math here, okay? This is, he's not trying to teach the guy a lesson in finance. He's trying to teach him a lesson in the, in the, in the, the kingdom of God. Here's how I work. When I have pity for you, I have mercy for you, I'm releasing you and forgiving you the debt that you owe me. It's $6 billion. I'd rather have you. Oh, wow. Now, this story makes a weird turn. And you'd think that that guy's whole life, you'd think that this guy would never stop crying. You'd think this guy would be the most joyous human being on the planet. You'd think that this guy can't go to the grocery store without skipping and singing. You'd think that he, he's a grown man, but he looks more like a schoolgirl. You know, he's laughing, he's tossing flowers, he's, a, he's blessing everybody. You'd think that a guy goes from Scrooge to whatever Scrooge changed in when he met Jesus. You know, like, it's just like, just like wow, like, like my whole life has changed by the big goose. Uh, my whole life has changed. Like, I'm generous. My whole life has changed. I've been forgiven. Now I am, I am I'm, I'm full of grace, head to toe. Cut me and I bleed it. But, verse 28, but when that same servant, now this is the servant that was just released and forgiven of six billion dollars. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, stop there a second. A hundred denarii, once again, a little bit of wrestling, verbal wrestling match with uh, scholars and theologians on how much this is. Here's the big thing. It's way less. It's a drop in the bucket. If there's an ocean, this is like less than a drop compared, financially speaking, compared to what he was forgiven of. But this is probably somewhere around 12 to 20 grand today, okay? Can be paid back, just give me some time. You're just given, forgiven six billion. You can surely release me of my 12. Well, we'll see, <laughs> if only, right? But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Let's call that 12K. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now, wait a second. The guy, forgiven six billion, finds a guy who owes him 12,000. In this interaction, he feels that the best course of action 
is to grab him by the neck and choke him. And then to demand this drop in the bucket amount be paid back to him who is $6 billion lighter. So his fellow servant fell down. It's hard to fall when you're being held by the neck. I know, all right? I know, it hurts, all right? You need sack at chiropractic after that, you know what I'm saying? The, uh, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. He said, man, this has to be a flashback. It's like five moments ago. He was, he was on, his, on his face in front of a king. Now he who is no king is in the same position as one. And this guy's saying, have patience with me and I will pay you. Now that, 12, 12 grand, that's doable. Six billion, not. 12 grand, doable. Six billion, not. See. But verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. What? Does this make anybody upset? Does anybody feel like vomiting right now? Yeah, save that. But, but I, I get you, right? And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Listen, uh, Jesus is, uh, is good but not safe. All right? And here's what he does. The master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. Listen, here is how the kingdom operates, guys. You know, this is how the kingdom operates according to the Bible. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. I forgave you six billion dollars. Because you pleaded with me and I had compassion on you and operated in pity. This is how my heart works. But here, here is what is, this is, this is crazy that Christianity can't just be you get excited, kind of. Not excited to the point of actually showing emotion, but to get excited a little bit that when you're forgiven. But Christianity is not just when you're forgiven, but when your friends are forgiven, you're excited. That you're, in, you're a restoration agent. That is your new job. You want to see everybody restored to a zero debt, under the blood, happy in Jesus, just like you. And Jesus says, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on This is how it works. I had mercy on you. I want you to be a conduit of my mercy. You encountered my kindness. Be an encounter with my kindness. This is how it works. This is how it works. And in anger, his master, this is a time where it's good to be angry. The father's angry. It's like people are perverting my heart. People are misrepresenting me all over the place. This is not how I, you don't say that you're forgiven and then not forgive. This is, this is ludicrous. This is ludicrous. And in anger to his master, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay for all of his debt. Your debt will be paid for somewhere. Under the blood or for eternity in hell. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is not works religion. This is the fruit of real religion. You don't get saved by forgiving. 
when you're forgiven, the fruit of forgiveness is forgiveness. Ay caramba. There is a biblical mandate to forgive. And it doesn't matter how you feel. Mandates trump feelings. There's, it doesn't matter how wounded you are. Listen, that stuff's real. And, and we need healing. And healing is like a missing link to discipleship. Because we tell people that your, your feelings don't matter. So we bypass them and we train them in knowledge that never, there's never oil from heaven to a soul that tells you who you actually are so you grow healthy and whole. We just keep stuff on people, knowledge. And knowledge is good. Knowledge is good. In the right order. Hey, Lena, you're seven years old. Here's the keys to daddy's truck. I want you to go out. I want you to buy me a bull. I want you to load it in the back. I want you to, this is not what a seven-year-old can do. This is, this is knowledge in the right order. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of forgiveness. You hear this? Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's how the kingdom works. That is how the kingdom works. Forgiveness is how God, asper, uh, the forgiveness is how God operates. The master is the model. The master is the model. The master is the model of forgiveness. This is, this is so, so listen to this. In, in God's kingdom, no debt is too big. No sin is too big for God to forgive. This is how the kingdom works. God, as much sin as you've got, there's, there's more grace. This is, as dark as your life is, there's more light. As, as, a, as crazy as your sins are, the blood is able to cover them completely now, then, and forever. This is how God's kingdom works. But what happens is, in the kingdom, when you're touched by the forgiveness of God, what happens is you need, must operate in the forgiveness of God. And forgive here is, in this context, we're talking about money, so it's, it's, forgiveness means this, I'm going to stop requiring payment. I'm forgiving your debt. I'm forgiving your debt. You no longer owe me $6 billion. And so forgiveness for some of us is some people have hurt us, and here's the payment. You have to feel as bad as you've caused me to feel. You've got to pay. You've got to pay. Oh, yeah, I forgive you, but I still want you to feel what you've done to me. I, I forgive you, but I, I, I kind of smirk if something weird happens to you. Oh, no, you haven't forgiven them. If you're still hoping to collect their debt, it's not forgiveness. And you may, you may hurt about it for the rest of your life, but you're not hoping they do in forgiveness. But what happens is sometimes we actually forgive, but we don't also release do you see here in verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him. That we just talk about forgiveness, but the release word is one thing that goes under the radar. It's so stealthy. Ah, oh, oh, release. Why does that look new? I, I don't know why it looks new because it's always been there. You forgive someone from the dead. I no longer am, I'm no longer requiring your payment. And in fact, what I'm doing is I'm releasing you into new life. I want you to prosper. Get, get into your new life. 
You get going into your new life. Hey, it's a, you, you've left my table, okay? I hope your next one is more bountiful. I release you. I release you. I re- I don't, I'm, not, I'm not requesting the debt be paid back anymore. That's forgiveness. I'm releasing you into a new life. And I, I, I'm setting you free. I'm setting you free. And so many of us, we, uh, we still have chains on people who have hurt us. We've kind of walked through some forgiveness. We've kind of admitted that we were wrong. We're still holding on to stuff. But we, we need to undo the chain. Just let them let go. Let, let, man, just blessings, 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 blessings. Just bountiful blessings on you as you go. Just, yes, just be released. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I don't hate you. It's okay. But this is, this passage though is so, here's God saying, the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of forgiveness. I'm modeling so you release people and you forgive people. But this is something, even though the person had encountered the Father's forgiveness, it was not something that he could actually operate in. So so, is this strange to you guys that he who has forgiven billions cannot release thousands? Is that strange to you? Like just let let all of your math kick in this moment. This is why God made you good at it. (laughs) Let everything, let, let let all of your intellect culminate on this moment. All the smarts God gave you and all the studies that you've acquired up to this point in life, look at this and calculate. Six billion is bigger than 12,000. Yet the bigger the debt was operated in kindness and grace and the smaller debt after having encountered kindness and grace, is actually operating in a refusal to forgive. I will not release you. I'm taking, I'm taking all the negative feelings that I have. I want my $12,000, so I'm actually putting hands on your neck. I'm throwing you into prison. I don't care for your family. I don't care for anything. I care for my money. I care for me. Strange. Strange. This is strange. Even to someone who doesn't have the spirit, strange, is it not? Even to someone just walking the streets, this is strange, is it not? You're six billion lighter. And you, this is, you won't forgive, you won't release. This is, guys, God wants to break through to our hearts today, and he doesn't want us just to know about the blood. He wants us to be changed by it. He wants to operate in the grace of his heart. He wants to fill us with a love that we could never have. He wants us to be people that are, when people encounter you, they're encountering the love of God himself through you. He wants you to be so deprived of self and so full of spirit. He he wants you to, when you look at a, a messed up, jacked up world, he wants your heart to break with compassion, not to be so opinionated with frustration. This, this is, it is so strange how the guy operates, but it should be very familiar. Because this is how so many of us operate. We've, we quickly lose touch. You know in this story that Jesus is not talking about finances. He's, he's talking about sins. Jesus forgave you 
The Father forgave you six billion dollars worth of sin. That's what he's saying. Six billion. An innumerable, innumerable amount. And he's holy. He's the king. And then you and I have people sin against us and it adds up to about, you know, spiritually speaking, you know, converting dollars to sin, about $12,000 worth of sin. And guess, guess what? You and I aren't even holy. We, we hurt people. God doesn't. So we, it, should make, it should make more sense to us. Like, dude, you know what? That $12,000, like, I, I robbed you of it anyway. You know, let me pay you. <laughs> this, but but we, we don't get this. We don't get this. this you know, here's, here's what this means. In the kingdom, listen, listen to this. In the kingdom, those who have, here's, here's, some, here's some transferable principles for us. Here's some, here's some gears that the, that the kingdom operates on. In the kingdom, those who have received mercy, release mercy. Those who have received mercy, release mercy. Those who have experienced compassion, extend compassion. That's, that's what happens in the kingdom. The, the forgiven much, forgive much. It's this is not rocket science. That this, this is, this is just, it is, you're forgiven much, I want you to forgive much. It's the overflow of the kingdom. It's the forgiven become forgivers. That's how it works. And what makes God angry, listen to this. What, what makes God angry in this story is, uh, is, is, not, is actually not the sin. It's not the debt. What, what makes God angry in this story is not the brokenness. It's not the, here you are, your whole life's led you up to this and now you're on your knees. Your whole life's led you up to this and now you're in jail. You're, like, you didn't make better decisions with your life. You actually, you're so broken that you, you owe. You know that debt's a slave driver. Why, why couldn't you learn better? Jesus is not operating like that. That's not what's making him angry. It's not, God doesn't get angry at your brokenness. God doesn't get angry at your honesty. God doesn't get angry at your, at your vulnerable state. God doesn't get angry at the mess that you bring to him. What makes God angry is a person who is willing to receive mercy, but unwilling to release that same mercy. That's what makes God angry. A person, here's what makes God angry. A person that has been forgiven much, that refuses to forgive a little. It makes God angry. This is, this is not how my kingdom operates. This is a weird perversion of it. Why is, why is forgiveness so important? Why? Well, well, I, I, I've heard a lot of sermons, well, forgiveness will, you know, it's, it'll rob your joy faster than anything else. And yeah, it will, but that's not why it's important. It isn't about you. <laughs> it's not about... The amount of joy you've got. That's really not it. That's really not it. It's, why, is it why is forgiveness so important? Uh, important? Well, I guess so you're not 90 and, and bitter. Well, that's not God's best for you. God doesn't want you to be 90 and bitter. He wants you to be 90 and like oily. Heavenly, oh, it's just like you get around, you're like, whoa, I'm blessed. I want to be 90 and just so oily. But that's not why it's important. Forgiveness is important because a refusal to operate in forgiveness is evidence that you're not a part of the kingdom. That's what I would say. Examine it, examine it, examine it. But you, you, you just refuse to, you refuse to operate in it. 
perhaps, perhaps, you're deciding to pay for it on your own. Perhaps. Now I know this raised eyebrows and all these kinds of things. Look at the Bible. Wrestle around with it. And then listen, look at Jesus. Do you know who had the most unjust thing ever done to him? It's not anybody in this room. It's Jesus himself. Jesus himself was unjustly killed by sinners at the hands of sinful man. And it was prophesied before the world began. It was not a mistake, it was a sacrifice. And at the same time, it was a murder. That people killed Jesus. Jesus was killed by his critics. And Jesus hanging on the cross says this. He doesn't say, say, Father, take me home quick. First thing I'm doing is sending legions of angels to wipe these unregenerates out. He doesn't say that. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can I toss this out to you as someone who has hurt others and been hurt by others? Often when I'm hurting others, I honestly didn't know what I was doing. And I've discovered that people that were hurting me honestly didn't know that they were. It's just in family, it just happened. Like, oh no. And then when you never come together and talk about it, you stay hurt. When you talk about it, you say, oh my gosh, I never knew I did that. I see how that came off. I am so sorry. That's how the kingdom works. I, I just, I found that. I mean, I hurt others, others hurt me. It's a result of just really not knowing. Jesus is saying, these, these, the, Father, these people don't know what they're doing. What I pray is that you release forgiveness on these people that don't have a clue. They're ki- Son, they're killing you. I, Father, <laughs> I know, but I'm laying my life down. And so some of us, like, we need to lay our lives down for other people's growth. We just like, they hurt us. And we say, you know what? I'm going to lay down. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this. Seven years from now, we'll talk about it. Seven months from now, we'll talk about it. Maybe I'll invite you over to dinner and we'll, we'll talk this out. It's not going to grow to bitterness. It's not going to grow to that. I, I'm just, for the sake of your growth, I'm going to put up with your weirdness. And parents, isn't that what you do with your kids? And that what you do with kids? You're a horrible parent if you don't do that. You're constantly making kids pay, constantly making them like, listen, they're, they're nine. <laughs> they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. But I would say this, bitterness in all of its forms is evidence that you're operating in unforgiveness. Um, time doesn't heal, heal wounds. Um, bitterness builds over time. You hear this? If you're like, oh, listen, you know, and this sounds like a South Central Pennsylvania time. Listen, just no problem. It's just time heals wounds. Like that's actually not in the Bible. Examine the scriptures. That's your culture. Time doesn't heal wounds. Bitterness builds over time. So you have to, you have to take care of it. I think many of us, we have, like if you would go home and, and face your pain, you would discover that you've actually got a bitter cry that's been growing and taking up the room in your heart and your soul. And you don't like people, you don't want to go hang with people, you don't want to do that, no, no. Well, you used to be a people person, I know, now I'm, I, and we say, I'm just getting old, I'm just getting old, I'm, I'm just maturing. No, you're not, you're grow, you're, your bitter cry is growing. 
And you've got this bitter cry that you've got to release sooner or it's going to turn into a volcano. And you're, you're going to spew horrible stuff out with your life. And you may have the, uh, have the skill to make it look spiritual. This is, this is holy fire. <laughs> nah, this is just, this is the wrath of God. The wrath of God was satisfied at the cross by the blood. You're not spilling God's wrath, you're spilling yours. I would say battle bitterness with the blood. It's going to erupt out of you eventually. So why the, the blood of Jesus can take any bitter volcano in your soul and, and instead of a, a, a volcanic lava in your soul that's just angry at everybody, ticked off at it, the world, wants to fight all governments, not just American government, every government, every government. If I was in charge of this world, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And God will take your bitter volcano any way he replaces it with. John 7 says it's fountains of living water. And just the Holy Spirit would begin to, we don't know what it is to be friends with the Holy Spirit because our bitter cry is taking up all space. And God just wants to just rain down just, just, the holy, just forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Some of the stuff that you're plagued with and you're dealing with is because you haven't released forgiveness. And so the enemy is always looking for uh, a, a loophole. Okay? And when you refuse to forgive people and hold on to bitterness and then spiritualize that nonsense, the enemy is an opportunist. <laughs> so suddenly you're not just dealing with your own sin sinfulness, but you're also dealing with demons. They're just latched onto you. Speaking of, yeah, what, 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 what's, what's up with her? What's up with him? Like, just like, it's just you and me. Who, who are you? Like, I'm, I'm your new friend. Oh, okay. Okay. And then when that normalizes, <laughs> and then that person that's actually listening to demonic messages goes on YouTube. And we learn from that demonic messenger. And it seems spiritual to us because it's resonating with our own bitterness in our own souls. Wow, wow. But Jesus, but Jesus, can we just say, but, but Jesus, but, but Jesus is bigger than all this. And I think he's, he's uh, ushering in a holy invitation to forgive people like you never imagined you could. He wants to empower you. And you know what? Get back in touch with the forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Remember when God first met you? Remember when all, all hell itself was on your shoulders and you had all kinds of stuff and God said, listen, I know you've got $6 billion of debt and today I'm releasing you into a new life. Remember how that felt? Get back in touch with that and, and go crazy in touch with Jesus. Uh, the last thing I want to say here this morning is that there's some people here, you know that there's a person in your life, maybe they're in this room, maybe they're somewhere else. You know that you have a fence with them, you've never talked to them. You need to talk to them today. The Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let it go down. You need to talk to them today. Oh, I don't know if it'll go right. Well, it doesn't matter how it goes. It matters that you, you, you ask forgiveness. That's what matters. So I'm going to pray this. Can we just, uh, can, in, in receiving posture like this? Only if it makes you uncomfortable, though. I only want you doing this if, if it makes you uncomfortable, okay? Uncomfortable, all right? And if you're very comfortable with this, I want you to do this, all right? But Heavenly Father, we receive all the grace to forgive. 
We receive all. We don't strive to forgive. We don't, we don't begin with grace and then end with effort, okay? We ask for grace to forgive. We want to be uh, pure representatives of, of your kingdom and of the Father's heart. And so, God, I just pray that you would, you would add, uh, we're tired of examining others. We want you to examine us. We welcome holy examination. Test our hearts and our motives first, God. Revival begins right here with us, God. And that's what we welcome here this, this moment. Just pray that it could be a holy one. And pray you do great, marvelous, awesome things. And then you release us, God, as forgivers, as representatives of your kingdom and your heart into the world, God. And we're excited to see it changed. We're excited to, to light up Hanover Hall as we just love on elderly people that maybe feel forgotten. We're excited, God, to be the kind of church that is a light in dark places. Bring, bringers of life to dead places. God, would you let heaven operate in us so we actually have it to give to this broken world? We pray this. We thank you. We rest in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.